On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, the author of a new autobiography on former Calgary Cannon and Baseball Hall of Famer Edgar Martinez. Welcome to episode 47 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. He's one of only 10 players in Major League Baseball history with 300 or more home runs, 500 or more doubles, and 1,000 or more walks with an average of over 300 and an on-base percentage of over 400. Not only was he patient at the plate, but Edgar Martinez was patient at life. As a youngster in Puerto Rico, he hit rocks in his backyard and would swing at individual raindrops. Clearly, he wanted to be a baseball player. Once he was given the opportunity to play professionally, Martinez had to exercise that determination once again as he slowly made his way up the ranks with the Seattle Mariners. Just one step away from being a regular on the big league squad, Martinez bounced between the Mariners and their AAA affiliate, the Calgary Cannons, between 1985 and 1989. And it's not like he didn't do enough to get noticed. In 276 games with the Cannons, the right-swinging third baseman hit 344 with 21 home runs and 167 RBIs. After getting the call from Cooperstown earlier this year, Martinez had this to say about his time in Calgary. Great town, great great place for me to play. Um, a lot of great memories I had, a lot of success uh, playing for the Cannons. And um, it was that the stepping stone to, to the big league, so it was, um, I had a lot of great memories in Calgary. I remember Ross, uh, the, the owner was a great, a really good person, um, had great uh, interaction. Every time I talked to him, it was great interaction. He's just a great, great man. Um, and the people from Calgary had great memories. It's just great people. Uh, and, um, uh, uh, I felt really good um, when I was around uh, the town and around people in Calgary. Um, a lot of great memories. Now, he did end up spending a lot of time in our province and maybe more than he expected. Was it discouraging? Was he thinking it might be time to leave the Mariners organization? Those questions and more are answered in Edgar, an autobiography written by Larry Stone and released in June. Stone's a longtime sports columnist with the Seattle Times, covering the Mariners for more than a couple of decades. We had the chance to chat with Stone about the book, what he learned about Edgar's time in Calgary, and what it means to the Mariners' great to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Let's start off with how you managed to get involved in this project in the first place. How is it that you came into contact with Edgar and decided that this was going to be a book at some point down the line? Well, uh, I've known Edgar since I started covering the Mariners in 97, uh, actually my second stint, but uh, I had been in the Bay Area, and, I, and I, so I covered Edgar through the remainder of his career, which ended in 2004, and then I stayed in contact with him through his retirement and through his Hall of Fame uh, bid. And it, yeah, I, I kicked around the idea of doing an Edgar book for quite a while, and then with one year left in his Hall of Fame eligibility, it just seemed, seemed like the right time. So uh, I was at spring training in Peoria in the spring of 2018. Edgar was still the hitting coach then. And I uh, just appro- approached him on a side field one day and said, Hey, Edgar, I'm thinking, 
it would be a good time to do your autobiography and I'd love to help you with it. Would you be interested? And he thought about it for a second and said, okay. And that was it. So uh, from that point on, uh, when the season started, uh, when they broke camp, we started working on the book. So throughout, throughout the 2018 season, uh, whenever the team was home, I, w- uh, I don't travel uh, with, with the ball club anymore. Uh, we, I would go to his house, you know, once a homestand, twice a homestand, and we'd just sit in his living room and, and I'd record him talking about his life. We kind of went in chronological order and it took throughout the whole season, many, many, many sessions. Uh, and then when the season was over, he actually, he retired and he stepped down as hitting coach, uh, and then between the end of the season and uh, January, which was the, the deadline by the publishing company, uh, you know, I worked on putting what he had said into book form and, you know, consulting with him and and in in, in uh, concert with him and then turned it in in January and it was published in June. And here we are. What was it about Edgar's story that made you go, this might be a good one for an autobiography? Well, you know, I had uh, years ago in 2001, I had gone to his home in Puerto Rico. I was covering uh, that was the year A-Rod went to the Rangers and the Rangers opened the season uh, against the Blue Jays, as a matter of fact, in Puerto Rico. The first game, regular season game that ever been played in San Juan. So they, since it was A-Rod's first game uh, post Mariners, the, the Seattle Times sent me to San Juan to cover that game. And I decided, you know, while I was there, I would make the drive to uh, Dorado, the small town where I grew up and do a story on his upbringing. So I, at that point I delved into his story His, you know, he has a fascinating uh, childhood. He, he moved in with his grandparents as an infant. When his parents broke up, uh, he was actually born in New York. Then his parents got back together and, and wanted the kids to move back to New York. And Edgar, he he was seven or eight at the time, uh, didn't want to go. He liked it living with his grandparents in Dorado, Puerto Rico, and he went and hid on the roof, and uh, uh, to the point where his parents left without him. His grandfather said, "If you take Edgar, you're going to have trouble. He just doesn't want to go." So he ended up staying in Puerto Rico. But uh, to 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 get to your question, I I knew his backstory and I knew it was interesting. Um, and his career, I felt, was compelling to Mariner fans. He was uh, the guy who stayed while Randy Johnson left and A-Rod left and Griffey left. You know, all the superstars left. Edgar stayed, and there was a certain reverence for him because of that, and certainly the double, you know, the most famous hit in Mariner history in, mm-hmm. in uh, 1995. Uh, I just felt that, with the, coupled with the fact that he was very likely to go into the Hall of Fame, you know, there's no guarantee, but I felt very, very strongly that he was going to go in, that it just put that all together. And I just felt it was a story that, that deserved to be told. From a personality standpoint, what really strikes out to you or sticks out to you when it comes to Edgar? Well, his determination, I think uh, he's a very quiet, modest guy for a superstar you know, he talking about himself, you know, I had to drag, <laughs> pretty much drag it out of him because mm-hmm. he, he's not comfortable talking about himself. But, I mean, here's a guy who uh, was stuck in the minor leagues until he didn't become a major league regular until he was 27, despite uh, tearing it up year after year in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't sign until he was almost 20. No, There was no interest in him out of high school. 
uh, he, he was pretty much going on with his life in Puerto Rico. He had a job, he was in school and he just on a whim went to a tryout camp and got signed by the Mariners for, for, you know, $5,000 bonus. So he stuck with it through the minors, stuck with it through his youth career. Um, he had an eye problem that would have probably ended the career of most, most players. He, uh, uh, strabismus it's called basically cross-eyed that you just you're not supposed to be able to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball with that but he just trained himself and willed himself to do it so uh determination i think is the is the trait that probably got him the farthest in his career one of the things in talking to russ parker and a few others around uh the time that edgar was named to the hall of fame they said what sticks out to them was the fact that when he first arrived in Calgary, he was known more for his defense on third than he was for his hitting, and he clearly uh, was determined enough to make that a bigger part of his game. Little did they know back in the late 80s that he was going to turn into the hitting dynamo and a designated hitter that he turned into. Yeah, you know, I talked to Russ, Russ Parker, the former Calgary owner, uh, for the book, and he told me a story, but he may have told it to you as well, about the first time that he was uh, sent to Calgary, and Bill Haywood, the Mariners at the time farm director, called him up and said, hey, uh, Russ, I've, I've got a third baseman for you. There there had been an injury, so they needed a third baseman. Uh, you know, i got to tell you, he, he's not going to hit much, but he's a great <laughs> defender. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is the guy that went into the Hall of Fame as one of the great, you know, right-handed hitters of all time. Uh, so he kind of, he made, he was self-made in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, he, 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 he weight trained and got himself stronger. And uh, uh, as it turned out, you know, he had a lot of injuries, including a devastating injury in Vancouver in 93 that pretty much uh, ruined his his chance to be a everyday player because he tore his hamstring and was never the same and mm-hmm. Lou Pinella made him a, a designated hitter so it's it's funny how that flipped on its side there he went from being you know good good field no hit guy to good good hit <laughs> no field literally because he was a DH from 95 on mm-hmm. he spent parts of 85 87 88 89 here did you ever get the sense that he became frustrated at all having to continue to bounce between uh, the PCL and the major leagues? He did. He did. Um, you know, he, he talks about in the book about how, you know, his public face was his quotes were, uh, you know, I'm not frustrated. I'm I'm not discouraged. This is just the way it it is, but he he revealed that he really was very frustrated, and uh, he just didn't think it was. He thought it would hurt him if he spoke out. But you know, behind the scenes, him and his agent were talking about you know maybe it's best that I go to another organization. There was some uh, rumblings he had heard that maybe the Dodgers would be interested. So you know, at that point, there was really no guarantee that he was going to stay with the Mariners or make it with the Mariners. They had, if you recall, Jim Presley and Darnell Coles. Uh, you know, and to a certain extent, Danny Tartable, who were uh, third base, you know, Jim Presley was an all-star. Darnell Coles was a first-round pick. And they were all around the same age, uh, mm-hmm. 26, 27 at the time. So uh, the, the, despite the fact that he was just tearing it up in Calgary, it looked like he might be blocked in Seattle. And whenever he got it, you know, he got periodic chances, and he just never really seized control of it because 
Uh, he was only playing once a week or twice a week, and he just couldn't get into any rhythm. And then they they ended up uh, they traded uh, Presley after the '89 season. Uh, Darnell Coles was the opening day third baseman, but he was so bad he he had, he had like ten errors in the first twenty games or something like that. That uh, uh, Jim Lefevre, the manager, installed almost out of desperation, put Edgar at third base, and and uh, he played so well that he never you know he never lost the job. They ended up trading Coles later that season, and it was his. The job was his finally. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of frustration on his part. Uh, you know, not not revealed publicly, but it was there. Talk a little bit about the, his time in Calgary and what he remembers about it. I mean, here's a kid who, uh, you know, goes from Puerto Rico to North America and then, of all places, ends up in Canada where, you know, it's, I mean, it snowed the first uh, first couple of days where there were supposed to be games here in Calgary in 1985. Yeah, that's one thing he remembered was uh, how cold it was. <laughs> but he really liked, he liked Calgary. Uh, he's very, he had very fond memories. You know, he was coming from Chattanooga, where, you know, the culture shock for him in the Deep South. Um, and the the ballpark was huge. It kind of sapped his power. Uh, and, you know, a lot of players who played in Chattanooga felt that way. Mm-hmm. And then he came up to, to, to Calgary. He actually was a, like, a, he went straight from uh, uh single A to, to Calgary in 1985, uh, excuse me, uh, double A at the end of the season and did really well. They kind of brought him up for the playoffs. And, but then in 86, he went back to Chattanooga. So that was kind of a setback for him, but uh, he loved living there. He liked the people. He loved the ballpark. Uh, he thought it was a much friendlier hitter, hitter friendly park. You know, he lived with Mario Diaz, another Puerto Rican player. And he, he uh, you know, he just, he just had really good feelings about it, but that doesn't mean he didn't want to leave there mm. because he, you know, enough was enough. He felt, but uh, you know, he's he's still, you know, all these years later. It, perks up when you mention Calgary. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's one of the challenges, too, when you're a, a small stop on the radar, the hope small stop on the radar, and you end up coming back year after year. Was there anyone who he gave credit to here in Calgary that managed to help him elevate his game and make him learn, especially the, the hitting side of the game? I think it was Bill Plummer, the manager. Uh, he ended up having Plummer uh, in Chattanooga, and then Plummer was bumped up to Calgary, and Edgar had him for several seasons there. And then uh, when he had his breakthrough season in the mayor, uh, majors, uh, won the bat, his first batting title in 1992, Bill Plummer was the manager there as well in the, in the majors. So he had him in three different stops and was really comfortable with him. But he talks about how Plummer really was a guy who made him a kind of a thinking man's hitter, that, like, uh, you know, game situations, runner on second, you got to hit it the opposite way, move them over, you know, stuff he had never really thought about or been taught. Uh, and uh, so he, he gives a great deal of credit to, to, to Plummer, the, the Calgary manager back then. It is amazing when you look back at how he, there was that frustration element and being bounced back and forth. And there was that thought, well, maybe I'll move on to another organization. Maybe another organization will give me a shot. And yet he managed to stay, which is very rare in the day and age of free agency, 
for a guy to stay with one organization for his entire career as Edgar did. Yeah, and he's very proud of that. And there was no guarantee throughout, too. As mm-hmm. you'll recall, the Mariners were in the Mariners were in a lot of financial uh, trouble back then. You know, they they changed ownership a couple of times during his career, uh, and then most specifically in ninety four ninety five, there was all kinds of rumors that they were preparing a move to uh, Tampa, Tampa, St. Pete area. And going into the 95 season, uh, the thought was that they were going to dump payroll. And Randy Johnson was on the trade block. Edgar was on the trade block. You know, Buner, there was, there was all kinds of rumors about all their players who had uh, high contracts at the time. And instead, they, the management decided they were going to go all in for one more year to try and get uh, you know, approval for the new stadium. And we all know what happened. That was the 95 season where mm-hmm. they, the miracle season where they came from 13 and a half games back and caught the angels and beat the Yankees. And uh, then they, they ended up getting funding for the new stadium. And that, you know, that was a season that saved baseball, but that season began with Edgar on the trade block. And it, that happened a few more times throughout his career because for no other reason that the, the team was always trying to save money mm-hmm. and knock off payroll. So, uh, but they never did trade Edgar uh, he was a free agent a couple of times late in his career and almost, almost, uh, you know, that's a revelation in the book. The, after the 2002 season, uh, uh, he was a free agent. And he did not, for the first time, really, he said in his career, he didn't think he was being treated fairly in negotiations. And he became a free agent uh, f- for the first time. Uh, all other times when he, had a chance to become a free agent. They always got a, a contract done before he actually became. And overnight, well, for one night, he was a free agent. And then the Mariners like woke up the next day and couldn't stomach the thought of Edgar leaving and gave him the contract he wanted. But mm-hmm. he was uh, he was probably headed for the Yankees at that point because the Yankees wanted him. He was he didn't think he was being treated fairly, and he was ready. You know, he told his wife, "I think I'm going to become a free agent, and we may be leaving." And then. 24 hours later, he re-signed, but uh, that's about as close as he came. What do you think it means to Edgar to be finally, after that long wait that he had to endure, finally get that call from Cooperstown? Oh, well, I mean, it's, uh, you never know it with Edgar. I was, uh, I actually was with him when he got the call. The, 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 The family was in New York in a hotel suite and I flew to the paper flew me to New York. Edgar was gracious enough to say, you know, I asked him if I could sort of be there and witness the moment and chronicle the moment. And he was up for that. So basically it was him, his wife, his three kids, their nanny and a couple of Mariners personnel and me were the only, you know, were the only people in the world who knew, you know, you, you get the call about an hour before the show. So uh, for, you have to, you have to, keep that secret for an hour until they reveal it on the MLB network. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I saw him get the phone call from Jack O'Connell of the baseball writers association. And, you know, you would have thought that he, the phone rang in his hotel suite and you would have thought it was them calling to say that his, uh, you know, his room service hamburger was ready or something. Cause he, there was really no (laughs) outward emotion, (laughs) you know, it's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, whoop and holler and you know he just uh as steady as could be but you know later there was there was a lot of emotion he was just trying to sort of stay in the moment and not 
you know, not lose control. He, he used, he said he used some of the same tricks he used when he batted mm-hmm. to, to stay, you know, not, that was important to him. But, uh, you know, he, uh, Holly's wife said, that's just, you know, don't let that fool you. Edgar is deeply, deeply uh, moved by this. And, uh, you know, there was times in the 10 years that he was on the ballot where it looked completely grim. I mean, he dropped halfway through, he dropped to 25% and you need 75%. He was heading in the wrong direction. It was, mm-hmm. It's a minor miracle that it turned around the way it did. I mean, I, I if you would ask me five years ago, if Edward, Edgar was going to make the Hall of Fame, I would have said no way because the trends were all in the wrong direction mm-hmm. but then he had a he had a big leap his sixth year and it just it, it reversed it was sort of suddenly and and by last year it was pretty evident he was going to get in and uh, i think he had time to wrap his brain around it but i mean he was discouraged uh early in the process and, and then now he's just you know it, it's it's for a ball player it's the greatest thing that can happen to you on a personal level for yourself, what does it mean to you to have been involved in this project one and two to watch someone who I would argue has turned into a friend uh, get inducted into the, the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, the final step is, uh, you know, I'm jumping on a plane next week to, to go to Cooperstown uh, to watch the, the, the finish of this. Um, yeah, it's very rewarding and, uh, you know, I'm just happy for him. I, I I would like to think I'm, you know, a friend. Uh, so I'm happy just for him, friend, friend to friend, and he deserves it. I, you know, I've had a vote for all 10 years of his candidacy and I voted for him every time I voted for him long before I knew I was going to write a book with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was only the last time. That was only one time he was on the ballot when we were working on the book. I voted for him nine other times because I, I truly honestly believe he deserves to be a hall of famer. So there was satisfaction on the level of, just justice being done because I thought he should have been in and and should be in. And then there was satisfaction just on the the level of, uh, you know, having gotten to know him and how much this means to him, just being happy for him. Thanks to Larry for joining us on the podcast, and thanks to you for downloading and listening. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and review, as those kinds of things help spread the word about us. Until next time, thanks again for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.